Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Hassan with another episode of the Influence Continuum. And today we spotlight a multi-billion dollar industry slash scam slash cultic undue influence industry. Um, it's referred to as the troubled teen industry. Uh, I have a very special guest with me today that, and we're going to get into this uh, important subject. Uh, Melanie Friedman is with me today. Uh, she's a licensed clinical social worker, and she's a survivor of the troubled teen industry. This so-called industry is a system of unregulated residential behavior modification programs that targets desperate parents concerned about their struggling teens. Accounts of physical, psychological, emotional, and even sexual abuse are well documented in these programs. When Melanie was placed in a so-called therapeutic boarding school in 1998, she personally experienced physical and psychological abuse and learned years later she had been placed in a thought reform program. Thought reform is what Lifton called brainwashing from his study of the Chinese communists. Melanie has spent the last 25 years working on her recovery from the trauma she experienced and has built a successful career where she can help others as a mental health professional. I met Melanie when she presented uh, at the ICSA conference, the International Cultic Studies Association uh, conference this past June in Louisville, Kentucky. So I asked her to come on my podcast and she's like, I'd be delighted. And thank you for doing that. And just to finish up, Melanie, your therapeutic focus has been working with trauma survivors, primarily those in or leaving coercive control settings. Your mission is to educate fellow mental health workers on coercive control and the troubled teen industry with the goal of promoting prevention and quality support and treatment for survivors. And Melanie, you know my work in, in the Moonies and my books, and I put together an online course for clinicians, but mm -hmm. as well as former members and families, because clinicians are not trained in how to identify and how to do the specialized work with victims of undue influence because it is a dissociative disorder. Mm -hmm. So with that, I'd like to invite you to share uh, your story and maybe go back in time or maybe you want to start with the big frame of what you've been seeing. I know there have been some, some big documentaries. I know Paris Hilton herself was in one of these programs. And uh, so you tell us what, what you think okay. we need to know. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack. I could talk to you for hours okay. about this. Um, but I think what I'll do is I'll just start from the beginning um, and explain how I ended up there um, and how my parents came to want to put me in a place like that. Um, so I was born in central New Jersey, raised by a really great family. Um, you know, no major issues there. Um, but as a teen, I did struggle a lot with some behavioral problems. I had significant mental health issues. Um, some traumas outside of the family unit had occurred. Um, and so I was struggling with unknown PTSD mm -hmm. um, symptoms. So, you know, as a kid, not knowing how to handle that, I acted out. I 100%, you know, experimented with all the stuff that there was to experiment with. Mm -hmm. um, and I caused a lot of problems in my home. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, you know, back then, though, there really was not much information um, on trauma and trauma-informed care. Um, and my parents were also not aware of some of the things that had occurred. Right. So they did the best they could. Yep. They, um, you know put me in a few different short-term residential places, um, tried some medications, tried a bunch of therapy, um, but it wasn't really aligning with what I needed, mm -hmm. um, you know, unbeknownst to them. So my behavior just did not change and my mental health continued to so deteriorate. So can I just interrupt for a second and ask, sure. so was there drug use that was the yeah. big, a big flag for them? Sure. Was, was, mm -hmm. Because... These days, there was always drug issues, and adolescents anyway are acting out, mm -hmm. trying to figure out who they are. They're influenced by their peers. 
But what I'm seeing more and more now is the internet is a bad actor influencing people. So just flesh out a little bit more some of the specific kinds of behaviors that would cause parents to seek out uh, help like that as opposed to just getting a counselor. Yeah, sure. So there definitely was some drug experimentation. Um, What we kind of as mental health professionals would look at now as more experimentation, but you have to understand that this is the 90s. So we're kind of coming out of like the Nancy Reagan era, right? The just say no. um, Oh, boy. Scared straight type stuff. Oh my gosh, they smoked weed. You were in trouble. Like they're going to go down this road. It's it's guaranteed that they will go down this very destructive road. Um, and so that's kind of the era that I was in. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I was also fighting a lot, sneaking out, um, you know, wanted to be with my friends, um, fighting with my parents constantly. Um, so some of which are normal teen behaviors, but it definitely was causing some concern. Mm-hmm. Um and there was also a lot of depression there, which was concerning my parents. Mm-hmm. And did you um, have siblings, or were you a... Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So I do have a younger sister. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was not... I'll be honest. I was not very kind to her. She she really dealt with a lot, putting up with me in the household. Mm-hmm. Um, so my parents had a right to be concerned. Yep. They really did. Um, and they did try everything that was available to us at the time. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know... Now I'm turning 17 years old and things are just not getting better. Um, They will, you know, put me maybe in a short-term program and I'll come back and I'll be good for six months. Something will happen and the behaviors will continue. Um, So they were really looking for for maybe a longer-term solution that could help. Mm -hmm. Um, And by the way, I'm a parent. And when Mm, our (laughs) son was 17 and was having a lot of problems... We looked into programs to send him because we felt like he needed more than the hour sessions he was having with his psychologist. Mm. In the end, because he was a gymnast, we didn't want to take that away from him. But I, I frequently ask myself, because I, I, I know about troubled teen industry and I know there are actually good programs run by mm-hmm competent people and the goal is to graduate them and re-enter them into life and not have a a revolving door of abuse but please Mm -hmm. continue yeah and just to point out you know that the short-term places that I had been in before was I happy to be there of course not but there was no abuse I mean the places that I was in prior and the place that I was at after are night and day there were licensed professionals there Um, we would see a psychiatrist Um, if anyone was posing a threat to themselves you were monitored closely in a safe and respectful way right Um, So it was a very different type of environment. Mm -hmm. Um, So my parents were part of a parent support group um, that was through an outpatient facility that I had been in prior. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was a parent there that had told them about, um, hey, send her to the family school. So the Family Foundation School in Hancock, New York, they Mm. are current. They are closed. They're done. Um, (laughs) Meaning um, that they've been shut down because of abuse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, in the early 2000s, I hope I'm accurate on that, there were a bunch of um, survivors mm-hmm. that had come out and they started making noise. Um, one of them went to Congress and um, did a speech on it. So you mean he, whistleblowing? Our, he, yep. They were whistleblowers. Okay. Thank Let's God for it. them. Uh-huh. Yeah. Whistleblowers. And, um, you know, John Martin Crawford, he's very famous amongst our facility. Um, he spoke um, in Congress and after now we have the internet, right? So people could start seeing these things and, and doing research. Um, and yeah, decline in um, students coming in. They tried to rebrand. It didn't work. And they had to shut their doors in 2014. Uh-huh. Now, I'm aware that a lot of these groups share a, a lineage, for lack of a better way of saying mm-hmm. it, back to a yeah. cult called LifeSpring, a large group awareness mm-hmm. training uh, a version of EST uh, or or Landmark Forum mm-hmm. uh, is the, this group that you were subjected to. Is that the uh, the case for them? So the I do understand the correlation of the um, LG the large group awareness, um, awareness mm-hmm. trainings. 
Um, but where we're kind of where we see our origin was with the cult synanon. Okay. I know yeah, that one um, well. Charles Diederich yeah. <laughs> and mm -hmm. uh extremely abusive. And they put a yeah. rattlesnake in the mailbox of a now deceased attorney and colleague mm -hmm. Paul Morantz because he yep. was representing former members and dared to sue uh the cult. So Synanon is a bad actor. Very bad actor. And so the reason that we see them as our origin and be, is because that's where we see the beginning of um, one of the favorite tactics of the troubled teen industry, and that is the attack therapy. Yeah, the hot attack seat. Attack therapy. <laughs> the hot seat. Like strip them down. Attack, everyone takes turns saying how horrible mm -hmm. a person you are. And yep. they want, and that's part of brainwashing, right? The unfreezing yep. to just like attack the person's sense of self so that they're, they're a shambles and then you build them up in the image of the cult. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, so my parents thought, hey, you know, it's worth a try. This person that we trust is saying it's a great program. So off I went, and um, I was there for, luckily, only seven months. Seven months of, of torture, of but it was only seven months. Yeah. And how it much was, was very it? Short. Wasn't it extremely expensive? Yeah, so um, for me, you know, and this, this is what I'm about to say, hopefully lights the fire and infuriates some people about what took place. Um, but for most cases, these are, you know, because they're not regulated, they our insurance will not pay for it. So it's you have to pay for it privately. So a lot of parents are paying this out of their kids' college fund, um, you know, taking out loans. Um, for me, um, the t the lovely taxpayers of my hometown paid for this mm. um, because uh, my school district was seeing this as I was not making it. I had been kicked out of like five schools at this point. Mm. This was the last resort for me to get my education, and so they had paid for this. There's different numbers I've heard, but I'm going to say the average I've heard from that time that I was there, um, 30,000, mm -hmm. 40,000, you know, and it just goes up mm -hmm. a year. So we're talking about like a college education. Yeah, and they, they, my recollection is they pressure the parents to recruit other parents yep. and they have to attend meetings and they get indoctrinated too as well. And were you isolated at first from your parents? Very you isolated. weren't able to talk to them or talk about no. the, the specific sure. bite model kinds of things. So, yeah. So let's start with the isolation. So first of all, most of these programs and mine in included isolated. I mean, you're going into the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I was, my program was in a town, a little town <laughs> called Hancock, New York. It's just in the middle of the Catskills. The town itself is very small. And the facility was several miles from this small town. So there's just woods and, I mean, just nothing. Um, there's there's no way out, okay? Mm -hmm. That's another reason they do that. There's no way for us to go if we try to run. Um, and then for my program, and this is not unique, I was not allowed to talk to my parents for at least a month. Um, and I honestly, a lot of my memory is, is not, is very... Um, it's poor. Um, I dissociated a lot while I was there sure. um, just due to the abuse. And so I kind of only have bits and pieces. And then also, um, you know, a lot of testimony from fellow survivors. Right. Um, so I really don't know how long it was that I was able to talk to my parents, but it was quite some time. And when I was allowed, okay, it was heavily monitored. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is I'm sitting in a chair and I have a senior student, so somebody who's kind of bought into the program or at least is doing the program just to survive and get by. You know, they're standing kind of over here to my right. I have someone standing behind me. The phone is behind me on the wall. Remember, we're talking 90s. So it's on the wall. And there's a, a student standing right there with their finger. So if I so much as say that I'm being harmed in any way, um, if I talk negatively, if I try to manipulate my parents, and manipulate a negative basically means if you report anything that's happening, yeah. okay, their finger, ding, will shut that phone off. And then another staff will call and say, I'm sorry, we had to shut the phone down. Um, you know, she's trying to manipulate you. None of that's happening. These kids always say this. Mm. Um, and kind of prep them and calm them down and let them know she's lying. Yeah, that's information control, obviously. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And it's important to note too, like you wanted me to talk about the parents that most parents are prepped before we're even brought into the facility. So for me, my program let my parents know ahead of time that I was going to report that I was being abused Hmm. because that's what we do. And it's a last ditch effort to manipulate our parents. And they would give them specific examples of things that, you know, I would say, and because they were happening, Mm. (laughs) they were really happening. So, you know, who are they going to believe this, this facility that, you know, is, is, you know, it looks nice. The facility I went to looked gorgeous. Not all of them are, but you know, they will advertise as looking gorgeous and, you know, um, so this beautiful, you know, scenic landscape with a school and all these programs and these staff that seem so nice, or my child who is known for manipulating and known for lying that I'm trying to get help. Right. And the staff for the they don't have mental health training, correct? This is unregulated. So that's this is something if a parent is listening with a child with behavioral problems and they are thinking about exploring be a good consumer and really dig deep and and not just ask the program you, that you're thinking of sending your child to, but ask everybody, like in Melanie's network, for example, uh, as well as look for the credentials and, 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 and the certification from the state, for example, that they're, yes. they're doing things properly. And parents, we're in a really good time right now. Like you guys have the power of the internet. Um, A lot of survivors are speaking up. Um, There's a few websites. There's Breaking Code Silence. There's Unsilenced. And they keep maps Mm. of programs that survivors are coming out of. So I'm not saying we have every one, but, you know, you do have information at your fingertips that you can use before you trust one of these places. Right. So let's talk some more about uh, was there sleep control, clothing control, food control, Let's get into some more nitty gritty. Yeah. So let's talk about control. Yes, please. <laughs> so, so we'll just, kind of, I mean, it's easier for me if that's okay with you. I'll just kind of go through each BITE. Great. So, beha- so behavior, let's start with behavior. So, you know, they controlled our, um, you know, our clothing. We were only allowed to wear just plain, you know, color colors, but nothing with like brands or band names mm-hmm. or anything like that. Um, which doesn't sound so bad when I first mention it, but you got to understand that this is a very first step of stripping our identity. So I'm not saying go ahead, let us wear stuff with drug paraphernalia, but you know we all have our own individual style. And as a teen, it's that's what they're figuring out. They're learning who they are. And so to take that from them, that's a very first step of saying, nope, mm. we're, you're changing. We're changing who you are. Um, we weren't allowed to watch um, any like movies. We didn't have a radio. We didn't watch TV. We didn't watch the news. So we had no information coming in from the outside. Um, our every move that we made was was very controlled. And there wasn't um, so, internet. You had no smartphones, of course. No, no, there was none of that. And because we're we're not allowed to talk to anybody except our parents, if we're lucky, we're not getting any information from the outside. And so how that plays into behavior is this is the system. This is all that there is. Right. Um, and so, you know, that's another part of stripping who we are because now we have no connections to our mm-hmm. our family, friends. So um, describe a, a typical day. What time would people, wait, w- w- were you sharing rooms? What time oh, would yeah. you wake up? Yeah. W- yeah. Describe a little more. So I'll remember the schedule to the best of my ability. Um, but we, we were, so we were staying each, in, in my program, we were divided into families. So a family was essentially, um, you know, 25 to 30 kids, co-ed. Um, and then we had our, you know, lead staff, which is our mothers and fathers, you know. Um, and then the kids that we were with were our brothers and sisters. Um, and so in each family, um, they all had dorms, which were basically dilapidated trailers. Um, and so there would be like a boys, like I was in family five. So there was a girls family five trailer. So all the girls from family five stayed in the trailer. And then there was a boys family five trailer and all the boys from, and so on. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so there were six families. So I stayed with all the girls in my, um, 
in my family, roughly maybe 10, maybe a little more than that, in this trailer with like no <laughs> air conditioning. And it was just, yeah, they ended up getting torn down because they were just like not safe mm-hmm. or up to code. Um, but yeah, so we're all living together. We're staying in bunk beds, um, you know, throughout the trailer. Um, we were always with somebody. You were not even allowed to go to the bathroom. If you had to go to the bathroom, you needed to ask permission. And then you had a buddy that was going to take you. Mm to the bathroom and watch what was you Was the doing. bathroom in the trailer or it was outside? Sure. Yeah, so there was, we did have a bathroom mm-hmm. in the trailer. So the bathroom was in the trailer. Um, our showers were monitored. Every move we made was monitored. Mm-hmm. And if you were considered someone who was not conforming like me, um, you did not ever go anywhere. Um, you couldn't even talk out of turn. Um, and if somebody, if you did say something, you know, that was maybe ne- considered negative, then it would immediately be reported back mm-hmm. um, to the staff and they would bring you up in front of the family during our meals and you get yelled and screamed at, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you were always being told on. Mm-hmm. So that's another form of behavior control because you know, right, and thought control, but you know, you know that anything you do is going to. So how what was their plan for how to help you become an adult and be a functioning member of society if they had one? So help, I use that term loosely, right. but their version of help um, was basically tearing us down. So yelling and screaming, calling us names, tear you down, and then we will build you back up mm. to you know the program version. The problem is, is that there was never any building up. There was never any positive feedback. There was never any, hey, you know, let's let me let's have a chat. And some kids report that there was, but for me, there certainly wasn't. Mm-hmm. And it always comes with a condition. It always comes with a condition. Meaning so. performance thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and if you do, you know, maybe trust a staff member that's being nice to you. But if you tell them something, you know, private, like you would a counselor, right? Like with therapists, like there's the confidentiality, okay? There was never any confidentiality there. I see. Um, you know, and so it would always get brought back and it'd be told in front of your entire family. So all the kids in your family, all the staff would hear maybe this personal thing that you were trying to work through mm-hmm. would get twisted and then brought out. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no privacy, no healthy boundaries, no, no teaching of psychological skills or techniques per se but kind of like be like the older members and and conform and mm-hmm. obey yeah and that's how very rigid graduate. rules very rigid rules that were always changing mm-hmm. you know so you were always you were always doing something wrong um and you could never ask and question and say well you know you told me yesterday that this was wrong but then i did this why you know you couldn't question it um, and it was very focused on on group things. Mm. So there was no, they did not want you to ever think for yourselves. So I assume that there was um, phobias put in people's minds that you're, a, you know, a drug addict forever mm. and you're a bad person and what else? That you'll be a failure forever. Mm-hmm. You needed this program to survive. And if you wanted to walk out that door, you know, you were going to end up becoming, for the girls, it was always sex-focused. So you were going to become a prostitute. Um, you know, you were going to die by suicide. You were going to die by overdose. Uh-huh. And so, terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So that was definitely a phobia that they implanted mm. every single day. I mean, you would hear them yelling and screaming at us about that. Uh-huh. So let's talk a little bit more about thought control. Were there loaded terms that were used to uh, shut down individuality and critical thinking? Yeah, I mean, the big thing I'd say for for that would always be negative. I mean, they use that term like to the point where sometimes just hearing it, it makes me sick. If you think for yourself, you're being negative. Mm-hmm. If you ask a question, you're being negative. Mm-hmm. You know, if you question what they're saying, you're being negative. Um, if you're having doubts about the program, you're being negative. Um, you are you are basically trained to not trust yourself. You are constantly reminded that you were not thriving on the outside, and that's why your parents dumped you off here because they couldn't stand to be around you anymore and they couldn't handle you. So they dumped you here, and um, 
you know, every, you're just, you can, you cannot be trusted to think or do for yourself. And so you need to rely on us to do that for you. Um, and there was a lot of purity pushing a lot. So any impure thought, and they were very heavily focused on sex. Mm -hmm. Were they religious Um, at all in this particular program? Yeah. So my program, it was a little interesting. So, um, they were, so we had chapel. Um, so to go back to the schedule, I didn't go through Mm -hmm. that with you. Um, but we woke up about six, six 30 in the morning. We went to chapel, then we went to breakfast and then we had school. Um, and then we would come back for lunch, go back to school and then have chapel again. Um, around dinner time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's chapel twice a day. And they did offer services for kids who were Jewish, kids who were Protestant, but it was mostly Catholic and they really pushed pushed uh-huh. Catholicism. And school um, was actual teaching of mathematics and other science and other subjects? Yeah, but um, they did offer school. Um, I can't tell you whether those were actually licensed teachers or not. Um, I couldn't. I couldn't figure it out. Um, I had a lot of trouble, and they sure didn't offer any type of tutoring. So if you were not succeeding in and passing, was I believe a an eighty percent or a seventy nine? So if you were anything below an eighty, you were failing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and uh, so every, I mean. They didn't. They had school, but they didn't offer you any support in that area. And most kids that graduated didn't even receive their papers, saying that they had an education. A lot of kids are struggling to get their papers, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. proving that they were in school. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that was our schedule. So no time, no time to critically think. I mean, you can't even go to the bathroom and take five minutes to think mm-hmm. because you have somebody standing there. Yeah, the Moonies were like that, by the way, especially at the beginning. In the, in the indoctrination phase. So you were pretty much on this property the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even when we weren't, right? So they, besides Catholicism or religion, they also used, so I forgot to mention that um, the people who ran this program were actually in a cult. So it's a cult called, called the Eastridge Cult, and it's a very small recovery community located in upstate New York. Hmm. Um, and they um, are part of a very strict, unyielding um, 12-step model. So um, a gentleman by t- named Tom Powers developed his own version of the 12 steps. Hmm. Um, and they are extremely, extremely strict. Um, and so that's what they, our treatment was the 12 steps. It was the 12-step program. Mm-hmm. No matter what you were there for, even if you never picked up a drug, you were you were there for 12-step recovery. Um, and I'm not saying that 12-step recovery cannot be beneficial, but typically that's part of the solution, not the solution, right? Right. And uh, my issue with 12-step programs is, you know, the history is it, it was Christian and religious oriented, and you basically had to admit you were powerless over drugs, uh, admit that you were an addict forever, uh, and that there would be these mandatory meetings where it always started off with your name and you were an addict. And even I've talked to people who said, I never used drugs, but they put me in the program, so I was an addict. And you develop this addict identity, which is the opposite of as a mental health professional. I'm encouraging people they can change their identity. They don't need to, you know, especially if they're born or raised in a cult, they don't need to be stuck in that. And they can choose a future that's healthier and move towards it and learn skills and and grow themselves. I was Yeah, I, they they had us convinced that all of us were addicts, even the kids that didn't come in mm-hmm. and use drugs. And so sometimes we would go to outside like 12-step meetings. But the funny thing is, is that these were community meetings and the people that ran them were staff at our program. Oh, boy. So even when we were taking out, we were never taken out. Right. Right. So um, did your parents, were they allowed to actually visit the facilities and visit you there while you were there? Yeah. So my parents actually did visit prior to me going there to do a tour. Um, And another form of parental manipulation is... They only will present the kids that are like buying into this. 
to the or parents least, that, that mm-hmm. the new yeah, customers. Yeah, like kids like yeah, kids like me that were like resisting or being you know a problem. Um, we would be somewhere else. Mm. We wouldn't be presented to the parents. Um, they do have parental visits where they kind of market their program, right? So we did like plays and choir. Um, and so that would kind of be the marketing thing. Bring the parents. Um, my parents never came because I was always in trouble. Mm. Um, so they weren't allowed to visit me. Wow. <clears throat> Which isolated me even further. Yeah. So tell us how you got away. <laughs> uh, okay. So trying to put it all together. Um, so I had, and I shared this at the um, conference, so <clears throat> kind of just to back up slightly, um, I had gotten to the point where I wanted to conform. I was I was sick of being abused. I was constantly put on sanctions where I couldn't talk to anybody. Mm. Um, I was brought up at almost every meal um, and screamed at. So I, I decided I, I'm just going to conform. Like, fine, I can't trust myself. I'm bad. I'm just going to do it. Um, and I, I had gone up and I was expecting, I guess, to be welcomed, to be like love bombed, like, Hey, she finally got it. And that never happened. Um, and so I kind of lost it and I started yelling. Um, I was wrapped up. And so one of the tactics that they use at this program, and I know they use it at others is they will wrap us up in blankets, um, and duct, uh, duct tape us from our shoulders, um, torso, and then our feet and put us in, um, like for me, it was the janitor's closet later on. There was like an isolation room, but I was carried down to the school and put in a janitor's closet. What I can only guess is two days. Um, again, I, I dissociated through most of it. Um, and during that time I was able to think for myself, um, as traumatic as it was, that is when I decided I'm getting out of here and I'm running. And so when they pulled me out, I that's when I eventually made the plan to run. And and I ran twice, actually. I was in upstate New York and I made it back to central New Jersey, but I got brought back both times. Um, so I had just gotten to the point where I was just constantly like lashing out. Um, and there was a situation where... Um, I had knocked over some plates and um, I knew what was coming. I was about to get put in that blanket. So I turned around, I ran out the door and I was jumped by about four students mm-hmm. and a staff because um, the students, you know, there they did the restraints, they did the work, they, they pitted us against each other. Um, and I don't know what happened. I just know that I was, I was trying to run away and I, I got jumped and I was just kind of trying to defend myself. And they had it in their head that I had tried to harm somebody when I, when I sure didn't. Um, and so I had a meeting finally after seven months. <laughs> okay. Um, I finally had a meeting with a psychiatrist. Um, and he started asking me all these really weird questions, you know, like, do you, Questions you would ask, like, a psychopath, you know, do you think about harming people? You know, have you ever thought of burning down buildings? You know, all this weird stuff. And I kind of, a light bulb went off in my head, and I'm like, oh, my God, like, he thinks I'm crazy. Um, So I started making stuff up. And I was like, yeah, you know, I I don't know what I said, but it was basically, you know, I think of hurting these kids all the time. And, you know, I'm going to beat them up when I get out, you know, something like that. And so they decided that I was not fit for their program and they shipped me off to a psych ward. And I got a call from my mom um, a few days later and she said, they don't want you back. Like you're too much. Like you're, you're, they think you're crazy. And I'm like, awesome. So you did that on purpose. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's so interesting. So the analogy for me in the Mooney's cult is that, um, People who would make problems, ask questions, and not go along with the program were called goats, and all the good members were sheep, and we would sequester them in subgroups to keep the good good recruits pure, and we would kick them out, basically. So there's a parallel there. And in this case, I guess there was an actual mental health professional, psychiatrist that they consulted with. Did you ever go back and talk with that guy and tell him that you were just trying anything oh, to no. get out? 
<laughs> no way. Um, <laughs> no way. I, I was done after that. And, t- and after I got out, I, I didn't know what really happened. I was really messed up. I mean, I was severely Do you even know his name that you could look him up? I think I could look him up. I think I know the name. I don't want to. You don't need to say know. it on this thing, yeah, but no. that would be my two cents is to say, yeah, by the way, I'm a licensed social worker yeah. now. And let me tell you, when we met, I was just making stuff up to get the heck out I was of it. malingering all over the place. <laughs> and thank you. And I'm okay with and it in this Thank case. you for believing my 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 <laughs> lies because I it led to me beginning back to reality and getting out of that hellhole. Yep. But I would have to imagine that he would have some type of liability for being involved with a program like that with so many young yeah, people who have been there's, harmed. Yeah, there's there's a lot, and and nobody's people are finally. I hesitate to say getting held accountable, but you know we we as survivors, you know, just in a whole of all the troubled teen industry, have been very very noisy in recent years, um, and so yeah, a, a lot's been coming out. Yeah, well, I'm definitely, you know, sign me up. I want to help, you know, whistle blow. I know that I did a, a previous blog and interview regarding a cult uh, troubled teen group called Straight. Uh, and mm-hmm. um, But there are hundreds of these groups. A lot of them, I believe, are in Utah, but they also have them in other countries, in Costa yep. Rica and other other and it's even harder to have any try of access and control um, outside of the country. Um, exactly. And- Straight is a is a direct descendant of Synanon. Mm. There were um, staff from Synanon actually working at Straight. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, what else do we need to tell people about this? In reflecting back on your situation as a young person, like what could have uh, uh, your parents have done or mental health professionals done uh, in retrospect now that you know how to help people? Um, if you could be a therapist to your younger self, like what would be some of the, 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 the pointers that you might um, use? I think it's really important to treat teenagers, no matter what they're doing, as kids that are that need help. They're lashing out for a reason. They're hurting inside. Maybe there's something going on at home. They're not bad. Mm-hmm. And that's how we were treated. We were bad. Um, and so everything, even even the good therapists that I saw, it was about fixing me, fixing my behavior. Um, and that's just not the stance that we need to take. They don't need to be fixed. They need to be heard. They need to be helped. Um, and they need competent, um, evidence-based therapies um, provided for them. Mm-hmm. We are way behind the times on trauma therapy. It, it, I, it was very difficult following um, my program. And even still to this day, I haven't had a therapist. And I've had good therapists. I haven't had anyone that even knows what the troubled teen industry is or what undue influence is, course of control. I've always had to educate them. So, you know, guys, <laughs> mental health professionals, I, we have CEUs. We've got to I educate I hear ourselves. this all the time from former members that they're tired of spending money to educate their therapist about their group or about what mind control is. And, Mm -hmm. you know, anyone listening to this as a mental health professional, I was taught, and I'm sure you were too, that it's unethical for us to treat people that were not trained to help. And so if someone is coming to me with a specific issue that I'm not trained to help them with, I have a duty to refer them or I have a duty to get supervision, explain to the client, I don't have training, but I'm going to get supervision and allow the the client to have a decision that they'll choose someone else that may be more competent than I am in that. And I have on my course, a woman who was in a Bible cult for 13 years 
got out and spent 11 years in and out of psych hospitals on 19 different medications because nobody was trained about how to diagnose that she was in a mind control cult, much less how to treat her. So um, I, I, I have in my course her conversation after she got better, after working with me, where we were doing a training for Judith Herman's uh, trauma course at Cambridge Hospital at the time. It's now unfortunately closed. But she begged me to come up and speak to the clinicians and explain all the, the, the errors that were made with her. Uh, and, uh, and so it's instructive. For example, uh, she said she was in a cult, but nobody Googled the name of the group plus cult or plus ex-member or plus brainwashing. Nobody ever bothered to, to research the group itself. Uh, and uh, one of her therapists said, why don't you call your friends from the church? They can give you support. That was another biggie. And this woman had been a professional artist for Disney, and she was drawing these elaborate red satanic imagery stuff because she was really horribly abused in the cult. And, and the therapist was like, why don't you draw something nice and pretty? Instead of asking her <laughs> to explain what what this means and why she wrote, I mean, so she went on and on and on, and it was. But it's it's useful to you know for clinicians to go. Oh my God, eleven years of maltreatment from well-intentioned, trained mental health professionals who just never got training to identify undue influence as a dissociative disorder and how to treat it. And, um, and, and that's why we have a lot of work to do. To We do. And we really, as mental health professionals, have to step away from the belief, I know everything, I'm an expert, I went to school, I have fancy letters. There's no shame to say, I don't know about this or I need to learn more about this. We cannot know everything about everything. Um, so taking that reflection, honest reflection, saying, hey, I don't know about this. I need to teach myself. It's okay. It's okay to say you don't know something and keep learning about it. Right. So let me just push a little bit more, if I may, yeah. since we're both mental health professionals trying, Absolutely. trying to do the same thing. So when I talk to mental health professionals, I may ask them, have you had clients who were in cults or authoritarian families or groups? No. And uh, how long have you been practicing? 20 years. Uh-huh. So you never had anybody who was in a multi-level marketing type group? Oh, no, I've had a few of those. Uh, hello? Ding, ding, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Or... Ever have a Jehovah's Witness? Oh, yeah, I've had a, a lot of those. I'm like, ding, 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 ding. Mormons, <laughs> ding, 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 ding. You know, have you ever asked, were you corporally punished? Or have you ever asked, describe your childhood? Were you encouraged to think for yourself or were you trained to be obedient? You know, like questions not just the cult word, but just like to flesh out. And uh, it's just amazing to me, um, a psychiatrist who took the course, who himself had been in an abusive, like an Amish-esque extremist religious childhood. He was shunned because he wanted to go to college. This is a brilliant man. Went to Princeton for his MDiv and then became a psychiatrist. He took the course and then he said, I have four patients in my inpatient facility that are were born in authoritarian cults, and he had no clue. Wow. And he had that background himself. It was a blind spot. <sighs> yeah. Right? We need to start asking more questions. And, I mean, just listening more. Listening more to our patients and or clients, depending on where you work, and um, just being more mindful of what you need to learn more about. And this is one of those things that constantly pops up. As somebody that's in it, you know it. 
you know, the undue influence, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. I mean, it, everywhere. QAnon I mean, is a cult. Yes. Oh, everywhere. it's a conspiracy theory. No, it's a cult. Actually, it acts like a cult, and it's per people are programmed, and they and the people who know them say there was a radical personality change. Yeah, I mean, even just being in a relationship with a narcissistic, you know, abuser. Good point. Same thing, coercive control. Like, I know you guys have been, you know, therapists. I know you've yeah, had cult of one been in a relationship. Or been at a, yeah. at a company where your boss was a malignant mm -hmm. narcissist and was trafficking you in terms of yeah. long hours, no extra pay, and blah, blah, blah. So it's worth a look, and also we need to get more educated. Every, I'm sorry, this is just my opinion. Every single therapist has to have some training in trauma. Yeah. Every single therapist, mental health professional, needs to know something about trauma. Yeah, and I would add dissociative disorders, and yes. in particular 300.15, which is all about brainwashing and cults and course of persuasion as a disruption of identity. And there's very unique, specific kinds of strategies to help people recover from it. And it's not one hour a week for 20 years. <laughs> no, it sure is not. And it's a multifaceted approach too. Yep. So. It's awesome. So, so maybe take some more time to um, share some of the horror stories, maybe of some of your uh, of people in other programs, or let's flesh it out a little bit more in our remaining few minutes. Yeah, sure. So for me, there's there's obvious um, there is sexual abuse. There is you know, the physical abuse. And we hear about that a lot. If you've ever watched a documentary on it, um, if you just Google the troubled teen industry, look up programs, you'll hear about that. Um, but for me, I really want to flush out the psychological abuse. Um, when I came out of the program, I realized, you know, and it took many, many years. I didn't know what had happened to me. I was trained by them not to think for myself, not to trust how I felt, not to trust who I, how I thought. And I still, sometimes I'm still like that. I'm like, is that really how I feel? Or is that accurate? Can you look at that for me? Hmm. Um, you know, and it stays with us even after getting a lot of recovery. Um, and so the psychological abuse, I think needs to be looked at more. And I think, um, we need to talk about it more. Um, when I, started learning more about cults, that's where I learned, oh my gosh, like this is a thought reform program. I started looking into Lifton's criteria, mm -hmm. singers, and it wasn't until maybe seven years ago, I realized the thought reform piece of this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I can't help but circle back to your l description that we didn't really flesh out, that you were rolled up in a carpet yes. and duct taped and put in a closet for two days that's yes. called torture yes that, and, and i will say too, that's is that a united nations torture definition yeah and two days um was not the maximum and and again i don't know i i know it was at least two days i know somebody in the same program that was in there for eight days um, and how did we eat? They came in with um, a little plate and, you know, with, with tuna on it, and you had to eat tuna like a dog. That's how you got your food. So, and there, this is not new. I mean, you know, I've heard of, there was another program, it was outside of the country. I don't remember. I think it was in Mexico um, where they were taking kids and they were zip tying them behind their back, um, hog tying them, actually with zip ties and putting them in this like little, like just kind of box, like this cubicle mm -hmm. with a door. And they were in there for days. So you're in this carpet. So what did you do to relieve yourself? I went on myself. Yeah. So this is, this is what is done by totalitarian regimes when they're torturing people yeah. in their, in their dungeons and, and such. Um, I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb, Melanie, and say there's specialized therapy techniques that isn't out of regular trauma-informed therapy that could help you benefit if you're still having some thoughts that are residual, because you shouldn't be having thoughts anymore. 
and and the essence of my what I've come up with there, and I've continue to learn. But what I've come up with is basically teaching people how to reprocess their own experiences. And the simple question is, if I knew then what I know now, what would I have said and done differently? And even though you know historically what actually happened, you're, you, you can literally rewire the way your brain operates and there won't be those fragments or dissociated uh, pieces uh, and neutralize the triggers and be in your body in the here and now with a healthy future orientation. And um, so, because it really bothers me to hear you say that it's been these years and you're a professional and you're still having some residues. Well, and and I just want to point out, it's quite minimal, you know, and and I'm able to reframe it. You know, I've done lots of therapy, still am, you know, in and out of therapy because I think every good therapist has a therapist, you know, at some point. Um, I agree with you that some of my best (laughs) learnings was when I was in therapy with people uh, who had different approaches than mine. Yeah. Continue, so, please. so there definitely is, you know, it took a long time um, for me to kind of unpack all of it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'm still doing a little work on it. Um, and I think I will, mm-hmm. you know, I think I will for, for quite some time now, um, but I'm able to reframe mm-hmm. when I, when I have that thought, um, I'm able to reframe it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I have to say that what I'm mostly disturbed about is that the way that I got quality um, therapy and the type of therapy I, I needed was because I became a clinician and I knew what to ask for. Yep. Yeah, people aren't that to educated me is really troubling. about how to be a good consumer. Mm-hmm. There's a very good book that's gone out of print and I'm very disappointed that it did. But it was uh, called The Consumer's Guide to Psychotherapy. And one of the authors was uh, Goleman. I remember that. But it talked about the goal of therapy is to get out of therapy. And it talked about the different schools of therapy and what they were good for and what they weren't good for. And it talks about you know how to interview potential therapists, what to expect in the first session, the fact that you can interview a bunch of different people and you want you want to go with someone you feel comfortable but also has the skills and the training and it describes what should happen in the beginning part of treatment the middle part of treatment how to end treatment how to get out of treatment when when you're in a when when you're in a therapeutic cult or a troubled teen cult you never graduate they want you to stay forever in their system. But anyway, this was a beautiful book uh, and someone should do a version of it again, uh, how to be a good consumer. That'd be really helpful for a lot of people, um, you know, who don't know what to ask for. Yeah. And the key thing is like life is precious and we need to control our own minds and not look outside of ourselves to external authority figures, especially when we're an adult. Uh, and we need to be our own best friend. And we need to know a toolbox of different techniques and skills and strategies for, for identifying our feelings, for conflict resolution, for making good decisions. There's a whole list of things that I need to do with my clients, especially if they were born in a mind control cult and they have mm-hmm. no clue of what what's normal, or what's a what's a normal family like, Steve? <laughs> you know, and because uh, some cults, you know, they give up the kids and they're raised communally. Mm-hmm. They don't have access to their mother or father, or they don't even know who their father is. Maybe they might know who their mother is. Um, so, but the, the key thing is that we're human. So we get to learn and grow and change. And, uh, I'm just going to share one more quick story. I just did a consult with a uh, clinical psychologist who just realized 
that she grew up in the Jehovah's Witnesses and they were a mind control cult. And she was doing a consult with me because she just is in a new relationship. She just married somebody and felt like he was being very controlling and wondered, is this normal? And of course, I know the JWs, the men are in charge, the women do whatever, mm -hmm. they're not allowed to get educated, you know, on a, a corporal punishment. And she had no, she just had this huge blind spot um, and, uh, and, and was acceding to this dominating male uh, who was telling her how things needed to be. And she, she, it was like the alarm bells were going off. Oh, uh, I guess I need to learn more about this stuff. And I'm like, yes, you were raised. You knew enough to get away from it, but it's still in you, right? Yeah. And that's where a lot of my recovery came from was reading books, mm -hmm. you know, about it, yeah, understanding what had happened and you know what the aftermath of that yeah. was. Yeah, me too, for sure. Um, and where are you based, Melanie? I am in um, Tempe, Arizona. In Arizona, and do you do long distance telehealth types of consults, or it's just in person in Arizona? So yeah, so just in person. Currently, I'm actually out of private practice. I I needed to take a break from that for a bit. Okay. Um, but I hope to be returning to that. Okay. In the in the near future. Great. So let's just share as we're wrapping up some resource. If people are listening to this and they're like, I was in one of those twenty years ago. Like, what's a good website or name of a a good resource that you'd like to share? Sure. Well, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier, the unsilenced um, and breaking code silence. So those are advocacy groups um, and they have a whole list of resources on their websites. They have documentaries, books, um, podcasts. I mean, you name it. Um, you could get a lot of information um, from those websites. Mm -hmm. And um, I believe unsilenced actually also has um, a list of uh, mental health professionals. Mm -hmm. Um, that are known to understand this. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So any last words as we wrap up? I'm very grateful to you for your sharing your story and the fact that you um, got out and are functioning well and uh, are a mental health professional and wanting to train others. Thank you. I guess my last words of advice would be ask questions. Don't just take somebody's word from it. I hear you say it all the time is if you if you're in a group and you, you know, think it's that there's oh, you know, that you like it or you know, it has something to offer, step outside of it for a minute. You know, listen to other people's opinions. Mm -hmm. Um you know, ask questions. Yeah, if it's <laughs> legitimate, it will stand up to scrutiny. But always exactly. look for credentials of like actual yes. people who know what they're talking about and yep. uh, not just self-appointed, you know, co life coaches who are listening to Arcturists and the uh, angels that are messaging them and who claim to have psychic powers. Uh, there's so many of those right now. It's terrible. Mental health professionals are licensed. Yes. Okay. We sh they should any good program should have licensed yep. professionals. Yep. Jump through the hoops. I did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's all that. Melanie Friedman, thank you so much. Troubled teen industry, another example of undue influence where parents are being uh sought out, preyed upon, sending their vulnerable kids who really need help and who are then being tortured and mind-controlled and the opposite of what any loving parent would want for their child. And, um, you know, get, get help, get qualified help. And again, if it's a legitimate program, it will stand up to scrutiny, ask questions all the time. And I am not in favor of groups that... Um, isolate people from family and friends just period like 
Okay. Any good therapist knows that that's a no-no. You want to bring it in. Yeah. And often these groups will tell people, you were sexually abused as a child. No, I wasn't. Oh, yes, you have all the symptoms. You know, you just don't, mm -hmm. you don't have the memories. And it's like, well, we'll help you get the memories. And they install the memories in those conditioning, uh, uh, conditioning uh, sessions, which is horrible, etc. Thank you again and continued success. And uh, Thank thanks you so for much. doing this. Take care. That's it for today's episode of The Influence Continuum. I've been your host, Dr. Stephen Hassan. Theme music for the podcast is by Nasser Malik. To keep up to date with me and happenings that I think are important, please visit my website at freedomofmind.com. There you'll find in-depth articles about cults, mind control, and other relevant topics. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at cultexpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend my books, Combating Cult Mind Control, Freedom of Mind, and The Cult of Trump, in that order. These books are a culmination of 45-plus years of experience and will really help you grasp the complex web of undue influence. I have also launched a new 9-hour online course for anyone interested in a deep dive into issues related to recovering from undue influence in all forms. While this course is designed for clinicians, everyone can benefit. If you're a former member, I congratulate you for your bravery and invite you to use the hashtag IGOTOUT and join our online community at igotout.org. Remember, love is stronger than mind control. And thanks for listening.